Welcome to Parkview, you guys. Welcome you campuses, all of, all of our online listeners. We're really glad to have you guys here. New Lenox at Homer, Orland, glad, you glad you're here. We're in week three of Divine Direction. If you had, didn't hear the first two, I'd encourage you to go online uh, and hear them. We've got an app for your, for your devices as well. Really easy to be able to catch up with it. Um, before I jump in, let me just say thank you for what you've done as far as relief efforts. It's been a brutal season with hurricanes, as you well know. Parkview has given $167,000 to relief and hurricanes in Houston. And in Puerto Rico, it's a way to go. And that doesn't include all the people that have gone to work. And that doesn't include the 54-foot uh, semi-trailer we sent down there with dehumidifiers and all the stuff that, that they needed, the generators and stuff. Um, the money that you have sent has gone to help uh, people that really, 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 really needed it. Here's a photo of a team that's down there right now or just getting back from down there that uh, is physically assisting, doing electrical, plumbing, general carpentry. Uh, when, when the thing first happened, we, we had all these people sign up to go help. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, maybe we don't just need a bunch of people. We need like skilled people because, you know, there's, there's mold and there's all these things going on. Um, and, but not everybody got that a message. So I figured out that my daughter from California is actually there at the same place, the church in Mariner's church that she works for took a team of people and they're all working in the same place our team was. Um, let me just say she is a not skilled laborer. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, so everybody's doing different things, but, but it's really cool. This is Rita and Victor, one of the people that we helped with some of the people that we sent down there, and Becca helped as well uh, get their lives back. Victor waded through chest-high waters uh, to gather what they could and to get uh, a, an elderly grandparent out of there. I mean, just unbelievable what's gone on. Here's the deal. We have another team that's leaving, uh, like in the middle of the night tonight. So if you are, uh, we had a couple of cancellations. If you're a plumber, an electrician, GC, somebody that knows their way around how to help out down there, we've got somebody on the ground that would love to take you. This may just be your spirit prompting thing to go, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple of days and I'm going to go down there. Just talk to us on the way out. Any of our campuses, just talk to us on the way out and, and we'll, we'll get you signed up for it, okay? Um, your generosity makes a difference, not just in the lives of the people in Puerto Rico and, and Houston and the ones that we help, but it does to everybody around here. I just want to say thanks. Uh, the kids' ministry, students' ministry, pastoral care, all of the people that are reached by the love and the grace of Jesus, it's done through you. And I just want you to know that we stopped passing the offering baskets uh, back in June, and you guys have done great about giving online and being generous, and it's making a difference. So let me applaud you and say thank you, and you can applaud each other. It's okay. Um, you guys are great. I love you guys. Let's talk about divine direction. Okay, how, do, how do we figure it out? There's a, there's a Polish tradition. I, I had a family tell me after last service, they literally do this. If, if you've got a Polish background, maybe you understand this, or a, or a European background at all, on how you like, determine what your kid might grow up to be. All right, you follow me? So what you do is you like just lay out some objects and you see what the kid gravitates toward, okay? It's, it, it's not scientific at all, but, but it, you know, kind of a fun way to go. I wonder what my kid's going to be. So there's this preacher who decides to do this with his teenage son. You know, I just wonder what's going to happen someday. So he goes into his son's room. He puts a Bible, um, a silver dollar, and a, 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 a bottle of whiskey on the table. I just wonder what my son's going to, you know, what he's going to go to when he comes home. So she said, I'm going to hide behind the door. When he comes in, I'll see, I'll see what he's going to do. So the son comes in from school, comes up the stairs, dumps his stuff, turns around and sees the table with the stuff on it. He, he picks up the Bible, sticks it under his arm, takes a silver dollar, puts it in his pocket, 
takes a whiskey, unscrews it, takes a big wig. Preacher said, Lord, have mercy. A politician. Thank you. I'm here all week. Okay, we're talking about how, you, how, you do, how do you do this? How do you make decisions? Who are you going to be? What decisions are you going to make? And what we've been talking about is that the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. That's how it works, okay? The decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. In other words, our decisions, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. I mean, think about it. Why are you where you are right now, wherever you're listening to this? Why are you where you are? Certainly your parents had something to do with it. Other people, you know, things that just happened made a difference. But a big part of why you are where you are right now is because you made decisions. How do you make them going forward so that you end up in the place that you really know you want to be or that you hope your Heavenly Father wants you to be? And that the great news is he's your heavenly father and he loves you and he wants to help you. But we have, to, we have to listen. We have to make choices. So this is based on a book called Divine Direction by Craig Groeschel from Life Church. Um, highly recommend this book. And the whole series is based off of that. And, and Craig's talked about a couple of problems that we have today that we've never had before that are making it even harder for us to make choices, especially for those of you from the younger generations. And the first one is we just have so many choices. I mean, it's mind-boggling when you think about it, right? New iPhone out this week. I mean, didn't we just have a new iPhone? Now there's another new iPhone, right? I mean, we got so many choices. And the second one is the illusion of perfection. That's the social media thing, a fake book, as we call it, where you see all the good stuff that everybody else wants to post, and you don't see all their dirt because they don't post that. And please don't post that. Now that. That's how that goes, right? But you think their life is better than yours because that you know, burrito they're eating looks so wonderful. It looks better than your burrito at Chipotle. And so you got this illusion of perfection. And let me add another one to it. The other one um, that, that, that is getting in the way of us making choices, especially for the younger generation, is the over-programming of our children. The over-programming of our children. Okay? But for example, those of you who are maybe my age, you realize this, and you younger people may not, we didn't have anything, we didn't have anything like you guys have today to entertain us. We didn't have cell phones to hypnotize us all day long. We didn't have video games. I had Pong. If you don't know what Pong is, ask an old person around you, they'll tell you. That was it. Before Atari, we didn't have, and we had four television channels, four came in on rabbit ears, that's what you got to watch, and you had no way to record a show. You either watched it when it was on or you missed it. So if your parents made you to go to Sunday night church every week, you missed the wonderful world of Disney every week. And you got in on the very, very end of The Wizard of Oz, and, and, and it, it was very, very frustrating. Never knew how Dorothy got there in the first place. I had no idea about the tornado until I was later on, okay? That, that's just my problem. We didn't have nearly as many things that we could do. So you know what our parents would tell us? They would say this. This is crazy. Go outside and play. Anybody hear that? Okay. Yeah. You hear that growing up? Go outside and play. I think this is a kind of a cool idea. Maybe we ought to bring it back. I like it. But here, here's the thing from, from, from a sociological standpoint, here's the thing that's interesting. What that meant was I had to figure out on my own what I was going to go outside and play. I mean, it wasn't like there were, there were people standing around out in my driveway going, okay, today we're going to, I mean, I just figured it out, right? And me and my friends would figure it out. And we had hours to make our own decisions about what we were going to do because it wasn't already programmed. 
But our generation raised our kids with this over-programming thing. You're going to play soccer. Well, I'm going to pick you up from school, and we're going to go here, then we're going to run through the drive-thru, we're going to get this, and then we're going to go there. And what has happened is we over-programmed them, and they never learned to exercise or grow a decision-making muscle because somebody has always told them what to do. And so now we have a generation that really battles with indecisiveness. And it's our fault, not theirs. We never gave them freedom to go make their own decisions. A recent Forbes magazine article talked about career paralysis among the millennials in the emerging generations. Career paralysis. That is, they're afraid to make a mistake in their career so they don't do anything. And here's how it happens. According to Forbes magazine, they're raised by parents of the Depression era, right? My I was raised by parents who were raised by people from the Depression era. So when my parents were raised, they were raised, you got to get a job. And so my parents' generation raised our generation to say, you not only need a good job, but you probably need a good education to get a, a good job. That's where things started to come along the way, right? But most importantly, you need a job because jobs are really important. So I started out mowing lawns. Anybody mow lawns for a living when you were little? Yeah, loved it. Best job I ever had. Can't wait to go back to mowing lawns someday, you know? <laughs> Just driving around on a tractor. I really want to do that. Then I worked at Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Store. Okay, 31 flavors. I'm going to blow your mind, young people. This is before they merged with Dunkin' Donuts. So I know you're like, what? That was a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. Back in the day, they only sold ice cream. I'm in Oklahoma in early high school working all winter long at an ice cream store. I ate more ice cream than I sold. I promise you. Okay. Then I worked at a, uh, at, a, uh, at a grocery store for a while as a bagger. I did, you know, some of those kinds of things. And then right before I went into college, the worst but best paying job I had was road construction. I did road construction in Oklahoma. It's 100 degrees outside. There's 100% humidity, and the wind is sweeping down the plains. In, in the summer, it feels like a blow dryer. I'm standing doing cold pressing. I'm doing cold pressing. So that means we're throwing asphalt into the, 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 the ground where they're filling up holes, and I'm the low guy in the totem pole. So I'm literally standing in hot asphalt, shoveling out the asphalt so that people above me on the pay grade can, can patch it into the ground. And I did that for a summer and decided that was not going to be my life's calling, okay? But I did it. I didn't love those jobs. And a lot of my generation didn't love their jobs. And so what happened was our parents were raised by depression kids. They were raised to get a job. Then our parents told us we need to get a good education to get a job. And then our generation came along and said, oh... Sally, Johnny, what do you really love? I don't love my job. What do you really love to do? What are you really passionate about? And the emerging generation has been coddled so much by me and our generation that they now, again, according to Forbes, have three criteria before they go into a job. Here's the three criteria that, that an emerging generation person is looking for. I want to have something I love. I want to have something that makes a difference. And I want to have something that makes good money. Something I love, something that makes a difference, and something that I can make decent money, okay? Can I just say, I never would have taken this job if I would have had those criteria. 
I only had one of those three when I moved here in 1990. I didn't love it. I actually took a pay cut to come here, but I knew we could make a difference, and, and that's how it happened. The emerging generation, they want to love it, they want to make a difference, and they, want to, and they want to make good money. And when they can't find all three of those things, what do they do? They move back home to your house, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what, that's what happens. They, they, they don't want to settle for a decision that's less than the best, so they, so they don't do anything. They're like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation. Been out of work for seven years. Well, he's holding out for a management position. I mean, come on. What that is, and it's our fault. It's FOMO, okay? It's fear of missing out. That's career paralysis, fear of missing out. I want the very best, and I'm afraid that if I take this over here, and it's not the very best, if I say, if I say no to this opportunity over here, then maybe I'll get this opportunity here. And they end up with an uncommitted life. And an uncommitted life is always an unsuccessful life, young people. So you got to make some decisions. I know that we've messed you up, and I know that it's difficult because there's a lot of choices, but you got to go somewhere. you got to make a decision. So we talked the first week. First place to start is you get the why before the what. Okay, the what's not as important as why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Okay, and you get the who before the do, right? What's important is in here, who you are, not exactly what you do. And then last week, we talked about how to start making those decisions. And Solomon said, if you walk with the wise, you become wise. And if you walk with fools, you're going to suffer harm. So we're going to walk with the wise. Second thing is, we're going to ask God for wisdom. James says, if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you without finding fault. So we ask God. But it's not just like, hey, God, give me some wisdom. It's like, okay, i got to spend some time with you. So we walk with the wise horizontally, and we walk with the wise vertically, and then we just decide, just make a decision. Mr. Miyagi, walk on right side safe, walk on left side safe, walk in middle, get squished like a grape. Bingo. You're going to have to decide. So today, let's take it another step, okay? I'm going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles or your smartphones, you want to read along in this. And, and Paul is making a very emotional decision to leave the place that he loves, which is Ephesus, and to go to Jerusalem. Okay? He really loves being here, but he really feels like God wants him to make this decision. So he's going to take a step of faith, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. And here's what he says. And now, I'm compelled by the Spirit, and I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Wait, doesn't Paul have divine direction? Yeah, he does. This is why this is so good. All I know is that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my, wife, my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. This is why this is one of my life verses. My only aim is to finish the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I wrote a book called Life on Mission several years ago, and it was kind of based on this idea. God leaves Christians here. Why? Why doesn't he take us to heaven as soon as we, as soon as we become believers? He, takes us, he, he leaves us here because our, our task is to tell the good news of God's grace. That's why we're here. All right, so what are the four steps? Four steps of God's process. What do we learn from this passage on how to find the direction? Why is Paul going to Jerusalem? Why does he think that's a good idea? If this is divine direction for him, then I need to know how he made this decision. And it starts with the Spirit's prompting. Paul says, I love where I am, but God is calling me to go somewhere else because I am compelled by the Spirit. 
The Greek word there is translated deochonuma. Deo means to wrap up, like with a cord that's being pulled, that's pulling you, okay? Numa is the spirit or a breeze. Ho is something Santa says or some other definition. If you want, it doesn't matter. Deo ho numa is a cord that is pulling you, okay? And you're bound by the breeze of the spirit and it's pulling you. Paul says, I love where I'm at but I'm being pulled in another direction. It's what happens to me when I walk into the mall or I walk into an airport and I smell Cinnabon. Does that help you? <laughs> like, oh, cinnamon rye, right? I mean, that smells so good. Could be huge, could be small. I told this last week, but for us, very much so, Dale Holnuma was moving to Tinley Park, Illinois in 1990 to come to be a part of this church. It might be something simple talking to my friend Dwayne this week, and he was down in South Carolina during the hurricanes, or during the tornadoes last week. And, and, and he said, I, I was driving, he travels a lot for work, I was driving on the interstate, and, and I, I felt like the storm was coming up, and I felt like compelled by the Spirit, literally, he didn't even know I was going to talk about this, I felt compelled to get off at this exit, but I'm a guy, <laughs> so I didn't do it, right? I'm like, ah. It's just a storm, no big deal. I'm going to keep driving. So between that exit and the next exit, he said it just it got like twister, man. It was like the trucks were swaying and finally pulling off and stuff was blowing across the road and there's a cow swirling around, you know. I mean, he said, I was, I was really getting scared. I was really wishing I would have listened to the spirit back there and gotten off. So I finally got to the next exit and he said, I pulled off and I went in behind a Wendy's and I parked right there waiting, you know, waiting for the storm so it wouldn't blow my car over. I'm like, dude, you need to start listening to God better. You're lucky to be alive. Everybody knows you hide behind Chick-fil-A. Come on. <laughs> God doesn't care about Wendy's. You've got to find a Chick-fil-A. That's ridiculous. You could have been killed. Watch out for the Dale Honuma moments, okay? You're going to experience them in big ways and in significant ways. And if you're interested in this topic... Just started a new book. My, my friend Mark Batterson, a great Christian writer. If you're interested, it's called Whisper. Um, Whisper is what God does with Elijah. He, he is a, it's a, you know, this earthquake and a fire and a rock splitting. And then God is there in a whisper. It's about listening to the voice of God. The Spirit's prompting is not as much about whether the Spirit's going to do it or not. It's about whether we're going to listen or not, Right? In the introduction of his book, I just, I just got it two days ago. It's great. He talks about this uh, guy 50 years ago, this, this, this doctor who specialized in, in voice and, and deafness and was studying all that stuff. And he had an opera. His name was Dr. Tomitis. And he had an opera singer that had lost his ability to sing certain notes. And they weren't notes that were out of his range. They were notes that were within his range. But he just literally couldn't, he couldn't hit them anymore. So Dr. Tomaitis started studying it, and what he figured out was that opera singers sing at, at a decibel level that can be as loud as 140 decibels. Now, if you don't understand that, 140 decibels is about the, the sound of a jet plane taking off. It's very, very loud. And what he discovered was if you're producing that loud of a sound, then it's even louder inside of your own skull. And he discovered what medical science now calls the Tomatis effect, which is that selective muteness can be caused by selective deafness. In other words, he couldn't produce sounds that he couldn't hear. Ladies, this may help you with your husband, okay? 
The crazy thing is, he had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. How hard is that to apply, right? I just need to shut it. I, I, just, need to, I just need to listen. That's what I need to do. Listen for the whisper. The second thing that we find in Paul's journey as he's trying to figure out divine direction is a certain uncertainty. Is that helpful? No, it's actually not, but listen to this. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen to me there. So often when, when, it, when it feels like God is calling us or pulling us, and by his Spirit, Dale Honuma, it's like, I want to know the details. And I'm going to tell you something. God very rarely tells you the details because you can't handle the details. If God would have showed us the details, we never would have moved here in 1990. Our faith was not yet prepared to handle the trials that were going to come with, with, with what happened here, okay? And it's the same thing with Abraham, the same thing with Moses, the same thing with Mary, Peter, you name it in the Bible. God didn't show them the details. Here's what God promises. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my, fat, into my path. What does that mean? It's a lamp to my feet, it's not your new LED headlights on your car that when you're driving down the interstate, people are flashing you because they think you got your brights on and you're just like, nope, sorry, they're just new LED lights. This is low. And you flash them back and show them the bright and they have a wreck because they can't see. It's not like that. It's like a lamp to my feet. It's like one thing at a time, like your GPS. You ever put this in your phone and you're like going somewhere and you're following the directions and, and, and then you're like, I'm not sure this is right. I wonder if I put the right in place in. Do you ever do this? And, and then you're like, how do I figure out where this thing is literally taking me? And you have to go through all of these things to figure out the overview to see if it's actually taking you to the right place. Why is that? Because your GPS is set up to help you with the next thing, period. I mean, maybe if you've got it built into your car, you've got one, on, one thing on one side, one thing on another, but, but it's set up to show you all you need to know is the next turn. And that's, what, that's all the Apostle Paul has. God, I want steps four, five, and six. And God says, no, you've got to do steps one, two, and three. It's right here. This is all I can show you. That's what we call a certain uncertainty. That's all I've got. But this is a faith journey, so he promises he's going to lead us on it. The certainty is that God is with us. The certainty is that God will guide us. But it's going to be an uncertain path because you're not going to be able to see way out there. You probably don't want to. The third thing is a predictable resistance. Your enemy is, is going to be out there, you guys. I, I'm, the, I'm the realistic guy. If you want to listen to somebody tell you that following God is going to make your life sweet and marvelous all the time, those people are out there. They're on the radio, TV, whatever. You can find them. I'm the reality guy. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul says. Compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem, no, not knowing what's going to happen to me. The one thing I do probably know is that there's going to be prison and hardships facing me. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I only know that if I serve Jesus, it's going to be very difficult, and you have to understand that, okay? And if you don't, if you don't get that, you're kidding yourself. Virtually every, everything significant that has ever happened here at Parkview that matters has been met with resistance. If you're watching online and, and, and you see where we are today, maybe you've never been to any of our campuses, and, and you think, man, it must be so cool to have led a turnaround church into this significant ministry, you have no idea. It was the opposite of that. I mean, for starters, I had to move to Illinois. 
do I have to say anything after that? Really? I, I, you get these Groupon things like, you know, like here's all the special sales going on, whatever. I, I still get junk stuff like that in my email. And there was this, I digress, okay? I love my state wine glasses. I love my state wine glasses on Groupon starting at $7.99. So I couldn't help it. I clicked on Illinois. I did. Look at that. $7.99, ladies and gentlemen. That's us. Half price sale on Illinois, everybody. All right? What can we say? We live here. Anything significant that we do is going to be met with resistance. And here's why I say this. Because a lot of times people will come to me and they're like, God, I think God's really calling me to do this thing. But, man, it's, going, it's, it's really hard. It's really difficult. So it must not be God, right? Where do you see that in Scripture? Have you read, that? Have you read the journey of anyone? Because if you haven't, just start in Matthew and start with Jesus. I mean, we're getting ready to head into the Christmas season. One of my favorite times to preach because that was ridiculous what Mary and Joseph went through. And Jesus' whole life was ridiculously hard. Predictable resistance, of course it was. Why do you think? Does your enemy care when you're sitting there doing nothing? When you're indecisive? No, the enemy doesn't care about that. The enemy cares when you're making progress. Resistance is often a sign that you're doing exactly what God's calling you to do. So you've got to trust the process. There's a spiritual prompting. There's a certain uncertainty. There's predictable resistance. It's not always going to be easy. Last week I told you about the fairy tale wedding that I was doing. Our kind of adopted daughter from Bolivia, Abby, um, came back from Bolivia with um, my daughter, uh, who was there because she had a gluten allergy, and, and we helped her find a job, and she got a place to stay with this family. And she stayed with this family for a, literally a couple of years and then got off on her own. And all, along the way, she's doing great with her gluten and doing great in life. And along the way, one of the boys that she had lived with decided he liked her. And they got married last weekend. It was like, it's, like this, it's like this Disney's tale waiting to happen, right? It's just like everything coming together. And we had this crazy wedding with the Bolivians and, 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 all, and all these family in from everywhere. And, and I told it because it kind of sounded like a Disney movie. You want to know what happened? It was an outdoor wedding and it rained. I think it's pretty appropriate, you know? I mean, do you ever see it rain on a Disney wedding? No, it's always sun shining and the birds are flying around helping her with their veil, you know, tweeting little songs, right? Because that's what fairy tales are. I mean, we're, we're literally like five minutes until the wedding is supposed to start. Everybody's there. All these out-of-town people are there. And we're like, okay, we got to go in. And we're shoving tables out of the way so we can make a center aisle in the, in the you know, little hall where we're having the reception. We're moving the sound system back in. We've all got our suit jackets off and everybody's pitching in and helping. And I get up to do the wedding and I realize it's so dimly lit I can't see a thing I have written down at all so I have no idea if they're really married or not I don't know if I said the right things they may be <laughs> living in sin on their honeymoon I, I think I pronounced them husband and wife but I'm like making the whole thing up as I go because because the, and as soon as they got up I was like well this is this is appropriate because this is there's no such thing as a fairy tale it's going to rain that's the reality. There's going to be a predictable resistance. As a matter of fact, if your wedding went perfectly, I would be really worried about my marriage right now, right? Because, man, I mean, the reality of this is it's not going to be that way. You may not know this about the Apostle Paul, but predictable resistance was his story. He started off as the persecutor of Christians. 
He was public enemy number one to Christians. He was the guy that was killing them until Jesus shows up and literally in a blinding vision knocks Paul off his horse and blinds him and says, you're serving me. I mean, I didn't have that experience. You probably didn't either. So you would think if Jesus like specifically kicks this guy off his horse and says, you're going to serve me, that everything would fall in line from that point, right? But that's not what happens. You would think he would go, okay, cool. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to love my job. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a bunch of money. If God is in it, right, it has to be that way. Well, let me back the truck up for a minute. What happened was, according to what we can tell from history, he spent three years in Arabia most likely doing no kind of ministry things whatsoever, maybe studying, maybe learning. Hey, can I preach? No, can't preach. Three years goes by, and he preaches his first sermon in Damascus. And his first sermon is so bad, they all try to kill him, literally. That's what happened. I've been there, done that. That's how, that's how it started his ministry, okay? So he's running for his life. He's struggling to pay bills. He can't figure out where God's direction is. He knows God has called him. I mean, he literally called him out of the sky, And he's three, four years into this process. And you know what he's doing? Basically, he's mowing lawns. I mean, he's he's making tents. That That was his gig. That was his profession. That's what he knew how to do. So he's making tents. And I'd say this to you because some of you are making tents right now and you think God has this different purpose for you and and you're you're just making tents and, 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 and you're frustrated with it. Listen, God wants you to make a difference in the world. He does. Maybe he wants you to make a difference making tents. Maybe he'll call you to something else later. He definitely wants your kids to eat food. So don't quit your job. Eight years or so goes by. Eight years. Knocked off his horse. Paul, why do you persecute me? Uh, Sorry, I'll follow you. Okay, eight years. Nobody wants a guest speaker who used to kill Christians. Shocking. Finally, Barnabas vouches for the guy. Eight years in, Barnabas is one of the church leaders at that point, and things start to happen. Where has he been, what's he been doing for eight years? I'll tell you what he's been doing. He's been studying. He's been wanting to preach. He's been making tents. He's been trusting God. He's been getting the who before the do and the why before the what. And that's given him the fourth part of this equation, the uncommon confidence. The uncommon confidence. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I, it's a crazy idea. It's probably going to be hard. I don't really know what's going to happen. But then he says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that God has given me. I have an uncommon confidence that Jesus is going to be with me exactly where I am. And when he got to that point, yeah, God used him. I mean, if you, if you had to list the top five most influential people in Christendom, the Apostle Paul would be one of them. Going forward from that point, he wrote most of what we call the New Testament. All these letters that you see in here, they they all came from him, okay? He started churches all over Asia Minor and all over Europe. How did he make an eternal difference? And he don't miss this. He wasn't young by this point, obviously, either. Neither was Abraham. Moses was 80 years old when he started to make a difference with his ministry. Did Paul have a long-term plan? No. He didn't have a long-term plan. He had a plan to obey the future today. He had some things that he hoped for, but mostly he just followed the Spirit's prompting. 
He said, hey, if I'm preaching to a big crowd, I'm going to preach about Jesus. If I'm locked up in prison, I'm going to write about Jesus. And if there's a guard there, I'm going to lead him to Jesus. And if they beat me and leave me for dead, I'm going to call out to Jesus. Because I'm absolutely and completely confident that it is not about me, it's about Jesus. I have an uncommon confidence that I'm here to finish the task. And whenever he's done with me, I'll be done. So how does that apply to you? Well, like I said, if you're making tents, make tents and serve Jesus. If you're waiting tables, serve Jesus. If you're a stay-at-home mom, serve Jesus. If you're a graduate student, serve Jesus. Well, how, how, PT, how am I going to get from here to where I really want to be? Listen to me. You don't even know if where you really want to be is where God wants you to be. You don't even know if where you want to be is where you want to be. You take one step at a time. People ask me all the time, Tim, did you see this Parkview thing happening? No. I I couldn't have seen this thing happening. In 1990, how do you have three campuses? How do you have 20 Christmas Eve services with tens of thousands of people? It wasn't even possible back then. I couldn't envision the Internet in 1990. Only Al Gore could. That was the only way that happened. I didn't envision anything close to this. Woody Allen has a great quote. He said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Right? Because God has plans that are exceedingly abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. That he will be glorified through the church and for generations to come. You follow the Spirit's prompting. There will be a certain uncertainty. There will be predictable resistance. And you do it with an uncommon confidence, not in me, in he. Just be obedient today. When you're obedient today, you don't have to worry about FOMO, guys. You don't have to worry about it because you're doing exactly what God wants you to do today. And you trust that he's going to lead you on that next step of your path. So what do you do when it rains on your outdoor wedding? Here's Ian and Abby's, one of their wedding photos. I know, isn't that so cool? You use an umbrella. You take a picture with an umbrella and you make it beautiful. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for them and uh, what you did there and the reality. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who shows us the reality that following you is usually going to be met with resistance and we're not usually going to know what's going on. And being at the age I am, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for that because if Parkview would have been about what I thought it should be about, um, we wouldn't be here, nor would a lot of these people. So we're just going to follow you one step at a time, one day at a time, the light into my path. We're going to trust that you know where we're supposed to be going. We're going to trust in our good Father to be in charge. We're going to take one step at a time. Be with us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.